Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Trust that your homes and hearts are ready. We're a couple days away. To celebrate the gift of Christ. Before we jump in today, quick reminder, we talked about this March 9th, 2024. We're going to be hosting a women's conference here in Orange County. And Aaron Coates will Woo-hoo! be here. And you, Bree, my love, will be sharing as well. Embracing God's Design. That's the title. It's going to be a great morning. I'm so excited. I cannot wait. And spots are limited on this. <laughs> so RSVP quick, uh, missionbible.org. Click on the events page and it really is going to be tight. So you want to jump online and do that now, even if you pause this and go do it right and now. They're, they're both going to be here that weekend. Who's right? they? Mr. and Mrs. Yes, James will be preaching on Sunday. Yes. So it's just an all around Coats weekend. Oh, I can't wait. Everyone's wearing their coat. <laughs> okay, time to get through. Thanks to everyone who sent questions on the gram, on Christmas, relatives, and all that stuff. We're excited to answer and we hope it's helpful. You ready, my love? Yes. Ethan, ready? Let her rip. Well, we thought for Christmas it would be fun to do a more chill episode. Mm-hmm. So that's why we're doing the Q&A. And we haven't really prepared these answers, but we'll just kind of We've share. read over them. Yes. And well, these sure. aren't all holiday questions. In fact, most of them are personal stuff, spiritual stuff, family stuff. So we'll just work our way down the list. Like we always say, eat the meat, spit out the bones, because some of what we're sharing is just personal conviction and you may want to do things differently. Well said. And we aren't reading the names or handles, obviously, just to protect all of y'all's privacy. So question number one says, how many children to have acceptable to have surgery? Got it. And I'm assuming the second question is a follow-up to the first, like how many babies to have and then surgery to stop having children. My initial answer is as many as you'd like to and can care for. And it's fine to have surgery. I mean, (laughs) I get the ethical questions uh, and also those who point out God's commands to be fruitful and multiply. But the Bible never says anything about the application in number and was written well before technological advances in birth control. So generally, we don't want to speak where God is silent. Now, where you need to be careful is forms of birth control that destroy life post-conception, because now we've moved into abortive practice and murder there. So this is where research is important, because a lot of the birth control options that are out there now, primarily, they limit egg exposure to sperm, but often they have a backup chemical that's meant to destroy the zygote, the fertilized egg, should it survive. Uh, and can even, I've heard now, cause miscarriages after the pill stops being taken. So just for sake of conscience, as a Bible-believing Christian, research well before you use chemical pills or devices. Personally speaking, we've always loved the idea of having a larger family, knowing that children are a gift of the Lord. But we made that tough decision to stop trying and praying after I went through a serious health issue. So there's that side of things also that a mother's life needs to be taken into account. Yeah, and the family's social economic status. I mean, ability to take care of a lot of kids, what's possible, for example, in a you know, Tennessee farmstead is way different than an urban metroplex in Sydney, Manhattan, or Orange County. And another question, how do you balance ministry and marriage and not neglect each other? Great question. Do you want to go first on this one? Sure. It has been a process for me. It still is. But part of being a man's help me is accepting that we're here to help him fulfill God's call in his life. And that part of his design as a man is to establish dominion over a small area of the world, to build a home, to leave a legacy. And my role is to be his teammate. So in ministry, that's true also, where I don't view ministry as a mistress or something totally he loves more than me, but just as something I'm a part of with him, even if it's just in prayer for a season, managing the home, cooking food, giving him a headroom, <laughs> and being a representative for him when he can't be at events or functions. In fact, a book I'm loving right now is The Tapestry by Edith Schaefer, where she recounts her life with Francis, their marriage, kids, home, and ministry. Another and my all-time fave is called Susie. It's Susanna Spurgeon's 
autobiography is just a beautiful snapshot of how we're to be a team, even in the hard times, especially in the hard times. And I get this question a lot from younger men in ministry. And I always tell them, if it can't be an either or, it's got to be both and. And it's not wife on one hand and ministry on the other. It's my wife is first ministry. So leading her, guiding her in the word, clarifying the vision for her role, discussing how we'll handle new seasons in ministry together and what the objectives are. That's all part of my ministry. So the idea is, is the Lord moves in the church and in the lives around the kitchen table or even at events Brie can't be at, she knows her role is critical and understands the eternal weight of all that's happening. And a very practical reality is that serving in ministry together can bond you closer than anything. Mm-hmm. And it's often one of the reasons young Christian couples start dating, like serving in a children's ministry together or in the youth group or a college on campus thingamajig. <laughs> and then we get married, we stop serving together, church falls off the priority list, and we lose out on the beautiful chance to be spiritual teammates. So yes, I would say don't fight ministry, step deeper into it and find ways to do it together. And even in the early years, I remember you brought the kids in their PJs to college ministry oh, until eventually we had the babysitter and our date night was actually going to ministry and serving um, a lot of college kids. Even when the our kids were small, you found ways to, to bring them to children's check-in and you made it to our prayer circles and stopped by the office with cookies. You were just always blessing people and you made ministry about us instead of just me. Can you believe that this big man right here was once a <laughs> little tyke in PJ's? He was. Oh. Okay, and here's a real honest question. She says, I have a hard time getting over my abortion when an unbeliever. Guilt remains, mm. though forgiven. Yeah, that's tough. And we're praying with you, uh, sister. It sounds like you're a Christian, obviously, who understands the gospel, uh, your justification, righteousness, forgiveness. You're granted freely in Christ and your sin cast from God's remembrance, and there's no condemnation. But on the human level, We understand memories and consequences remain. One way to counteract that is by reminding yourself of truth. Uh, And the truth is that even things we destroy, God fixes. Joel 2.25, I will restore for you the years the locust hath eaten. And the simple truth, sister, is that your little boy or girl missed the pain of earth, missed sin, and went safely to the arms of God, and you'll meet him as a peer in Christ and spend eternity glorified together. And remarkably, think about how many babies have been aborted and how the Lord chose to pack the halls of heaven with those children. So yeah, from the human realm, there is sorrow, but from the heavenly view, God gets the glory and your child forever gets his joy. Only God can do that. Mm, amen. I'd even add picking up Stephen, I think it's Byers, right? Mm-hmm. Book, um, Putting Your Past in Its Place. He does a fantastic job at helping readers move forward in freedom, forgiveness through the word. Here's one for you, my love. A pastor of my church is courting me. Smiley Aww. face emoji on this one. What advice would you give in marrying a pastor? And you're thinking, don't <laughs> do <even>. it. <laughs> that is easy. Get ready for the greatest challenges, the greatest joys, the deepest lows, the highest highs, valley of shadow, the mountaintops of victory, because you are sharing life with a man in the day-to-day battle for souls. And I really mean that. So for starters, read One with a Shepherd by Mary Somerville. That will give you a glimpse into the seen and unseen realities of being a ministry wife, things like being okay with living in a fishbowl where many of the things you and your kids will be watched by others and likely not having a lot of money or extravagant luxuries as God's work is about what we give, not what we get. Um, Being okay when your husband isn't popular or spoken well of because like the old Puritans used to say, and my hubby reminds me, speaking the truth comes with a scarred face. But on the other hand, you get to witness firsthand people saved, marriages restored, prodigals come home, and children raised into the glory of God. And the longer you do it, the better it gets. Because one day you'll have spiritual kids and spiritual grandkids. So all to say at the beginning, you'll see a lot of fog. So I'd highly encourage you to have someone disciple you. 
but the Lord will guide you through one stepping stone at a time. And you'll look back to see the sunlight panorama of all he's done. That was beautiful. I'll just add that you have to die to yourself. Um, If he's truly called by God, your husband-to-be, he'll wake in the morning thinking church. He's going to go to bed at night thinking church. He's going to view the family being raised as part and parcel of the church and even plan your vacations around issues related to, guess what, the church. The The call compels him. So make the decision now to be his teammate, his best friend, not his distraction, his thorn, a dripping faucet. Lay your life down with him as a helpmeet and as a co-laborer. And here's the key. Know the Lord sees all that. And you're going to one day hear, well done, good and faithful servant, because you're living out something eternal. Amen. And a quick Christmas question. Should we bring our son to a family Christmas if we know people will be cursing around him? Mm. For starters, there are typically, and we talked about this a while back, there are two types of unsafe family. Typically, there's an unsafe family that's neutral to what we believe, and though they may let words slip, they're still fairly moral and certainly try to respect our beliefs and how we raised our kids. And then there's the unsafe family that's antagonistic to our values, and they really make it a point to boast in their worldliness and filthy words and innuendos. And sometimes they'll even outright mock us or the kids. So in the first case, It's likely best to call ahead and speak with your parents or host and explain the boundaries you'd like to set if you're bringing the little ones. So if you have just a neutral family, even though they're unsaved, um, and typically they'll try very hard to support you. But if you're in that latter situation, the antagonistic family, where they're outspoken about evil things, they allow the immorality on TV, on the phones, they curse, they mock, then you don't want your children in that environment. And to be honest, there's no reason you should want to be in that environment either. And this is often exacerbated when alcohol is involved. We talked about this last week, mm-hmm. the week before. So if your relatives tend to be heavy drinkers, it's likely best for you to call ahead, explain with kindness but clarity the reasons you can't attend. Here's a good one. The question, I've heard people say Christmas trees are wrong because of pagan origins. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I know we talked about this with the Castleberries, but I think it was the Puritans who moved decidedly against the more celebratory modes of decoration. Yes, the Puritans pushed back on Christmas because it had become this sin fest in England, and they had this chance to build a new world in America, so they outlawed it at like 1650. Increase Mather was the, the leader of that, but that only lasted about 30 years. And actually, the Christmas tree started way before the Puritans, and most people attribute it to Martin Luther, but you actually can go back even further than that. There was these German bakers who were decorating an evergreen with tinsel and treats and all that, and all of it was to celebrate God's eternal love. So I would say just take your tree, remember it's a symbol, and it'll reflect whatever you and your family stand for. Here's a good one. It says, what should we do if my wife is happy to include Santa, but I feel convicted? Yeah, that's a tough one. Um, I feel like every year this comes up. If we go with Romans 14, which Paul says, if it's not a faith and it's sin and you've the weaker conscience, it's probably best that she err on your side and not make you sing grandma got run over by a reindeer and do all the Santa stuff. But there's also the reality where you don't want your weaker conscience to run everything. So make sure it's biblically informed that the family focuses on Christ isn't lying to the kids about a big man in the North Pole with a big beard and reindeer, and potentially then you can enjoy some of the traditional trappings that are associated with modern Christmas. All to say, discuss and work toward a healthy balance. What are the timeless truths of Scripture versus what are applications that we can each work out in our unique context? Here is a really tough one. What advice if parenting together will unequally yoke? Husband or wife? Uh, Looks like the wife. Yeah, study First Peter 3, big time. And before signaling to hubby what a Christian parent does, make sure that you've shown him what a Christian wife is. So see, the issue in that passage in First Peter 3 is fear. And you'll see it immediately, which is why 
He illustrates with Abraham and Sarah because old Abe put Sarah in a ton of precarious situations. And he's basically saying, hey, live out your faith, be bold, and don't fear because God brought Sarah through and he's got you too. So yeah, that's for starters. Spend six months to a year not preaching, not advising, not complaining, just living out your chaste and respectful behavior towards him because you're doing it under the Lord. And there's two kinds of husbands. One will harden his heart to all this, and he'll shut down, he'll leave the marriage potentially, which is sad, because he's so convicted, and we pray that doesn't happen, but it it does sometimes. More often than not, in my experience, it's the other one. The husband actually grows open to things of the church and things of God. Not always converted, but just willing to hear the Bible's principles for parenting, and even attend church on and off. And what it is, is the wife's transformation that prompts him to begin softening, And we've even a lady here at the church who's on that first Peter three list and the elders pray for her all the time. And hubby allows that she come to church and she was so transformed that even things like chastisement, like spanking, which he was ardently against. Now he's like, well, Hey, let's keep that going. It's working. (laughs) The only thing I'd add dear sister is pray, pray and pray some more because time and again, we've seen the power of a praying wife and how the Lord hears the cry. Like Genesis 16 says, you are the Lord who sees. Hmm. Here's one for you, my love. Where do I, (laughs) I love this, where do I find godly young men when my church doesn't have any? Oh, dear sister, (laughs) I would need more info to help fully like age living situation. But generally, if you are living at home, trust the wisdom of your parents, ask them to find opportunities to help spread your wings, which could be traveling to a good Bible college or taking a short-term mission trip. I guess just look for ways to step out and impact the world for Jesus. And if you're not living at home any longer, then I'd suggest the same, but with even greater confidence. We always tell our daughter to run her race as hard as she can for Christ, whether that's nursing or missions, and then trust the Lord to bring the right man at the right time. I agree. Press into your parents, wise counsel, look for situations that serve the Lord or even a church that's a bit larger, and don't feel bad for desiring a husband. You know, the Lord put that longing inside of you. I remember years ago, someone said, church isn't for meeting a spouse. (laughs) I said, well, then where do you want all of our Christian young people to meet one, you know? And it's true. We don't want our kids at the bar, the club, Tinder, whatever. And that's why, you know, at Mission Bible, it's funny. You know, we have about a new relationship a week. You know, the gals make all the guys come to a pastor and get his approval. And then they give him a little booklet on biblical dating. You know, the whole idea is God wants you to build a life with someone. He just wants you to build it his way. Oh, I love that. This one is for you, my love. Good resources on church history. Hmm. That depends on how deep you want to dive. A starter package would be, for example, Bruce Shelley, Church History in Plain Language. Uh, Ligonier's got their long line of godly men. Uh, and you can just build from there. 2,000 Years of Christ's Power by Needham. History of Christianity by Ken Latore is a massive two-volume. And for something very palatable and online, check out Nick Campbell's Christ is the Cure. The guy's a whiz. I mean, he's bringing the cookies down. He's got graphics and charts and all that. It really makes it uh, portable. And if you want to watch something, Nate Businitz from TMS has an historical theology course. All of those are on YouTube, um, and they're all great. So it just depends on how steep you want to climb. All right, let's get to bullet round. You ready to go, my love? Yes. Here is the funny one. How difficult is marriage? Very. <laughs> That's why we do the pod. You know, marriage is a covenant saying I exist for someone else now. It's not happiness. It's holiness. It's a lifetime sanctifier. Um, it's not 50-50 like people always think. It's 100-100. You know, you're you giving 100. The other person's giving 100. Totally. It's still fun and it gets better. Yes, age. it does. Here's another good one. What's good at Outback? Ooh, we always get the same thing. Outback we special. We do. That's part of getting old. It is. You get the same thing. You dress the same way. <laughs> <laughs> Your teeth fall out the same time. Yeah. 
Okay. <laughs> Six ounce medium baked potato fully loaded side salad with ranch. Tony gets the thunder from down mm. under. They always bring us two spoons, but I want that tonight. Puts one. I want to go to date night tonight and have that. <laughs> oh, let's do it. They always bring two spoons. Mm-hmm. We always put it to the side. Because there's only one. <laughs> gluten free though. People need to know this is gluten free. All right. That's why. Just the brownies though. You <laughs> do know Here's... that the ice cream and everything else. Right? <laughs> Don't tell anyone. Next question. Does age matter? Is it okay to date a man five years younger? We don't typically warn people about age, but rather stage, meaning is the man in a stage of life, spiritually and physically, where he's able to fulfill biblical manhood qualities of protecting and providing. Hmm. The reality is many men are 45 who still aren't mature, while some 18-year-olds are well-raised and ready. So there's some small consideration for age, but most of all, look at the spiritual maturity. Okay, good one for you. Book recommendation for biblical womanhood. Ooh, God's High Calling for Women by Pastor John McCarthy. Another good one for you. Things you tell your 20-year-old self before marriage. For sure, it would be treasure God's word. Read Mm -hmm. the word, memorize the word, sing the word, pray the word. Unfortunately, the Bible was not my authority, so I suffered much consequence because of it. But most importantly, I was missing out on knowing my God. My 20-something was so immature, I would tell him to slow down, work hard, listen to wise counsel. You know, the reality, men, is that we overestimate what we can do in one year. We underestimate what faithful diligence accomplishes five. So just obey God, trust him with the consequences. But yeah, ask a lot of questions from older men. Here's one for you. Working on my doctorate, love to know what Tony did for his. Oh, congrats. I loved it. Mine was a demon. So my project dissertation was centered on expository preaching, specifically countering the growing NAR fourth wave charismatic Pentecostalism and worth faith guys like Bethel, Bill Johnson and all that. Ooh, I like this one. How do you pursue and stay pursuable later in marriage? Brush your teeth. (laughs) Wear cologne. Seriously, men. There's something to be said about eating healthy, taking a jog, and ironing our clothes. We, we did that to win her, so keep doing it to keep her. But more so, it's the inside. As we grow in Scripture, our wives view us as stronger and safer. So the sexiest thing for a godly wife is a husband who's on his knees. Amen. And all jokes aside, we women shouldn't stop caring for ourselves either, you know, after we walk down the aisle. But like Tone said, in the end, as we blossom into women of the word and encourage, edify, support our husband, our internal beauty will glow beyond any eye wrinkles. Time for one more. How do we respond when in-laws complain where we're going for Christmas? Make a plan early. Call everyone. Let them know you can do it a whole 10 months ahead if need be. Typically, they won't mind because the emotions aren't involved yet. Emotions get involved after expectations are set. Expectations breed breed frustrations. frustrations. Okay. Sorry if we didn't get to your question. We'll do this again. And we hope our quick fire answers provide some help as you navigate friends and family and marriage this Christmas. And know that we are so, so thankful for you and are praying you have a truly blessed holiday. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, in a few days, we're going to gather in our churches with our relatives and spend time celebrating the greatest gift ever given. So help us to be cognizant of your goodness towards us. God of God, light of light, entering the world to live and die for lost sinners. We cherish you, we adore you, we worship you, and we love you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Date Nighters, we love you. Special thanks to Ethan, our producer, all our blessed family at Mission Bible Church. And one last time, Merry Christmas. Keep living for the gospel and fighting for the family. (laughs) La 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 la. <laughs>